welcome back for another episode of Clean Tech Talk, where we at Clean Technica interview clean tech leaders from around the world. With topics ranging from electric cars to climate change communication, you can listen to our full podcast series by visiting our website at cleantechnica.com. All right, everyone, welcome to another episode. I'm, of course, your host, Joe Boris, and I'm here today with Tracy Price, the CEO and founder of QMerit. Tracy, thanks for uh, being on the show. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah, well, thanks for doing it You know, so early. We we're just before the show here talking about, uh, I guess it's 8 a.m. out there in California, right? Yeah, and uh, it's light, so it's not a problem. <laughs> Yeah, if you're in Chicago, it's not that bright yet. But in any event, so for those of you who are unfamiliar with QMerit, QMerit is, uh, I think, probably the closest thing to a nationwide installer of uh, electric charging, EV charging. Tracy, why don't you tell us a little bit about the company and and a little bit about your background as well? Sure. Yeah, I have an interesting background for this industry. I actually have a degree in economics out of UCLA, which has not been applied at all to the building trades. (laughs) Ended up uh, gravitating towards energy efficiency, renewables, ESCO work. Actually ended up getting a mechanical C20 license and an electrical C10 license to be able to help grow prior companies. So a bit uh, propeller and piston, know how certain things work and know how to apply them to to get an ROI. And I always gravitated towards something that had a pay for. And over the time of growing multiple businesses and and being blessed enough to have uh, a few successful exits and work with some some great people along the way. We made a rather large bet about 13 years ago on an emerging technology that I thought had legs and and could work. We gave, I think, one of the first million-dollar POs to a company called Coulomb, which became ChargePoint. And from there, we ended up doing most all of the auto OEMs around the country. The, uh, The key to the platform that we built was that we were able to do hundreds or thousands of jobs concurrently across a broad geography, so at scale, uh, with high quality due to the QA on the back end and using a combination of our labor and other people's labor. So the real trick is how do you appeal to people's better angels? How do you get them to aspire to to do great work? And the the nice thing about the EV business is it's a great lure because people that are interested are kind of true believers and and they tend to want to do a really good job. Yeah. Are you finding as, you know, this may be probably a, a deeper, more philosophical question than, than we were probably setting out to talk about originally, you know, but you made a good point about appealing to people's better angels and people who are EV buyers up to now, at least have been really into the technology and really into the promise of that technology. Are you finding now that as more kind of what I would consider a mainstream buyer is starting to buy into EVs, that the questions they're asking are different and the expectations they have are different from the early adopters? Definitely. You know, there's the true believers who who are going to leap headfirst into V1 of anything and everything. And yeah. that's going to be true of, of home electrification, building electrification. But I think I think what happened is like or not like Elon Musk, you know, he he blazed the trail on electrification of transportation. And the transportation world and the built world, buildings, homes, had never really intersected before. They're, they speak totally different languages. They have different priorities and alignments of needs and outcomes. And so you have these two very different businesses colliding, fleets 
and buildings. You know, buildings have always tried to reduce their demand charges, reduce electric costs. And now here comes the altruistic CEO or owner saying, I want to put DC fast charging out front, right. up their demand <laughs> charges. The engineer loses his mind. But but if you look at, at the early Teslas, you know, they really were a bit of a, a tin can on a battery with an iPad. You know, they, they were really Spartan. And my thought was when the real car companies, the, the legacy car companies, come up with ground up EVs, that their talents and technologies and uh, amenities and the things that they know about vehicles were going to supplant Tesla unless Tesla really took a leap forward in, in terms of quality. And I think we're at that moment where the industry is crossing the chasm. Tesla has legitimate competition. Our bet was if we if we appealed to everybody but Tesla, we could have rest of worlds. So Tesla could be Apple, we'd be Android, and there should be enough work for everybody. And and really, we're seeing that play out right now. Yeah, you make an interesting point because I think of QMerit as you know, and and probably incorrectly so. And I'm I'm ready to be corrected right now. I think of QMerit as the guys when I go buy a Chevy Bolt, when I go buy you know, a Volvo or a Mercedes or whatever it is. And I want to talk about putting a charger in my garage. Q Merritt are the guys that come put the charger in the garage, but you've made a great point about the built world versus the automotive world. And there's so much more to this energy equation than just plugging in or wiring in a charger that Q Merritt can help with in terms of, you know, the new Ultium batteries in terms of energy storage, you know, potentially solar integration with that and you guys are in that world already. That's something that you guys are already uh, a part of. Can you speak to that a little bit? Sure. I mean, we, we've spent 30 years doing bundled energy retrofits, combining renewables with traditional technologies, chillers, boilers, air handlers, lighting, solar, geothermal, inverters, you know, you name it. And we, and we I'm have that. so bad at my job. I had no idea about any of this. Well, it's, it's okay. That's, <laughs> that's the predecessor company. So, so don't worry about it. But but the bottom line was the reason why we made the bet on EVs is that we thought that was going to be the lure that you could drag everybody through into the world of electrification. So we thought that the level two charger was going to be the catalyst. And the reason why is, you know, I had some early white papers from various sources that, that said that 85% of all level two charging was likely going to take place at home. And you know, we had a small residential business in our prior company. We, we knew that market pretty well. It was called Green Homes America. And it was doing home performance. So we, we kind of understood the reduced and produce. And then what happens when you bring in, you know, something that's consuming more than anything else in the house combined. And so I thought that was the opportunity. If you use the level two charger as the entry point, you are the person who's done something pretty cool for the homeowner. Are pretty cool for the building owner because it's complex technology. It's not plug and play. It's not somebody dropping off a, a dryer and plugging it into a 1450 socket. There's a lot of things that could, could go wrong. There's a lot of implementation techniques and, and requirements for wire sizing and type of plug and commercial versus you know, what you could pick up at Home Depot or Lowe's. Just a lot of things that the average electrician doesn't know. So we believe that if we were the trusted person coming in and delighting them with that level two installation, that we had the right to talk to them about broader electrification strategies. That's certainly been the case when we talk to people like Volvo, when we talk to GM, when we talk to Ford, talk to, to any of the 
the, the auto OEMs out there that have aspirations of becoming broader energy plays. You know, they want electrification of the home. They see the whole home backup, the bundled system, and, and owning the customer is the key. The problem is, so do the utilities, so does Google, Amazon, and Siri, so do the home automation companies, so do the cable companies, so do the EVSC companies, on and on and on. So everybody's competing for this consumer to do a virtual power plant and distributed energy you know, control and manage charging, they're only going to sign one contract. So who the organizing principal is going to be in that equation is hard to say. The utility by default thinks that they should be the likely uh, provider. But but I've seen surveys of consumers and they ask who who would be best served to teach you about electrification or bring that to you. And 87% of the respondents said not the utility. So you've got yeah. this real dichotomy, right? And uh, and there's all kinds of people, you know, playing the Game of Thrones, trying to trying to get that very very valuable consumer relationship. You know, you're making an excellent point. I remember, and we're talking about way way back. I think 2013. Now, 10 years ago, I was at an event called Further with Ford in Detroit, <laughs> and they were talking, and they they like spent money on this. They brought Steve Wozniak in, and they were talking about you know, the reason people stay with Apple is they buy all their music and movies and they're invested in that ecosystem and they have the MacBook Pro and the iPhone and everything kind of works together. And they were talking sincerely, like they believed that they were going to be able to get somebody into this Ford ecosystem so that somebody could have a Ford vehicle and it would talk to their smart home, you know, apps and their the music would be on the Ford and all this other stuff. And that that would make it, and they've talked very openly about this, that that would make it more difficult for people to switch from a Ford to a Chevy or a Ford or a Toyota. And it hadn't occurred to me that that kind of thing was playing out in this home electrification space. Do you see like a conscious effort on, on the part of the legacy brands to like not only own that whole experience, but kind of isolate that experience? And, and what I mean by that is, are you seeing a scenario where like an Ultium wall battery or a Tesla wall battery doesn't want to play nice with a Ford or something like that? Absolutely. Wow. <laughs> and certainly, certainly because of V1, maybe in V2, V3, they're going to have to be more open. But like a lot of companies that are venture backed or PE backed, everybody's got their proprietary hook. And while they claim to be on a standard back end, really when it gets down to it, it doesn't integrate very, very well, or it's a little clunky. But you know these early versions of a whole home backup are really targeted at kind of the persona of the the buyer. And when I look at the country, America is a car nut country, right? Yeah. And you know, as soon as you're a kid and you get your first car, uh, you develop a loyalty to a brand. And you know, there's Chevy people, there's Ford people, there's foreign car people, there's you know Toyota people, and that tends to play out over time. And what we see is the companies that are more forward thinking in wanting to provide the bundle have the brand loyalty. They have to work through the things that they've never been, which is everything but cars. And they have to try and do it while listening to all the noise in, this, in the system. And there's a lot of people claiming they do the same thing or provide the same thing or the same hardware or the same technology. It's just not the case. But if you look at the whole home backup system, it's only integrated to work with the F-150. So if you pulled a Chevy in to plug into the whole home backup, not going to work. So there's a lot of these early V1 systems that, that are 
certainly trying to carve out a space and and rightfully so they're they're making an enormous investment in that consumer experience and in their dealerships and and everything else so yeah early versions are going to be proprietary future versions are probably going to be more open but you look at somebody like chargepoint you know effectively a closed system yeah, you know, but it, it's interesting too. You make an excellent point that these are massive investments and they have to ensure that it's going to work. Like, you know, say what you will about that Ford system and whether or not it should be open or closed. I was not aware that it wouldn't play nice with the Silverado, for example. But I think that if you're a Lightning owner and you have this system, you want it to work and you don't want to have, you know, headaches and beta versions and this like that thrown at you. So I think the idea of closing it off for at least the early versions so that you can kind of control that customer experience does make sense. hundred percent. Yeah. Are you doing any installations that are, you know, we're talking about whole home electrification and whole home systems that are kind of more EV agnostic for people who have two different EV brands in the garage. That doesn't really exist yet. <laughs> really? In, resi- okay. in residential, in commercial. Yeah. We, we, uh, we do work with one of the companies uh, that's kind of the early bi-directional leader there. In uh, in residential, we have done the whole home backup systems. I guess there's a video that was done by uh, one of the guys' sites that we sponsor, Tom Malagny, who has state of charge. And we just completed a kind of end-to-end whole home backup with bringing in 400 amps of power and separating out the two 200 amp panels and bringing in the whole home backup system and bifurcating for his generator. And just a lot of things that, you know, the the average DIY guy is not going to be able to to do. So, you know, if you if you want to take a look, <laughs> there's some good information there for you. Same with with uh, our conversations with General Motors. You know, they all have an aspiration of simplifying this installation for the consumer because right now, you know, there's five or six panels to achieve this, and you know, automatic transfer switches and disconnects and and all kinds of things. You know, our main strategic partner, Schneider Electric, is working on, you know, really titrating that down to a charger and a and a whole panel, whole home panel that includes the load center as well as all the required materials and technology to to effectively have that be a single panel versus a half a dozen and do all the things that you need to do to affect that whole home electrification. So I think when the electrical manufacturers come with the packages, they will be more universally applicable and, and you'll be able to plug various vehicles into those systems. But for now, you're kind of wherever you're brand loyal and whoever system you're buying, those are the vehicles that are going to work. It seems like there's a lot of complication here, you know, and one of the things that I was looking at when I was cruising your website, and I mean, just right up front, you know, you talk about having 95, almost 95% customer satisfaction rating, an 84 net promoter score, which, you know, you make a very good case here saying that it's unparalleled in the home improvement industry. And, you know, for those of you guys who are listening to this, who are EV people and not like home construction people, like anything above a 60 is really just crazy because people complain constantly. So for you guys to be doing that well and explaining that process of complexity to the customers, you're obviously doing something right. How do you ensure that your new contractors and new installers across the country are kind of keeping to that level of performance and that level of, uh, you know, obviously attention to detail? Sure. Yeah. 
you know, what it, what did uh, Churchill say? It's a mystery wrapped in a riddle, hidden in an enigma. <laughs> that's, that's the building like trades. That? That's the building trades. So, yeah, I think if you look at the building trades more broadly, you'll see that most NPS scores are single digits to negative. So to to have something as high as, as we're fortunate to have is a testament to a couple of things. One, the rigor of the vetting process that we use and, and the fact that it's more of a franchise light model where people are actually aligned with us in terms of incentives and outcomes. But also think about the early adopters in most new technologies. You're going to get the people with the curious minds who want to solve the problem, who want to over-deliver. So we, we tend to probably get the more obsequious, hoop-jumping, you know, butt-kissing, uh, you know, contractors that that just want to delight the customer. So you've got the intellectual curiosity, you've got a service mentality, not a new construction mentality, and you have something that's really cool. And then when you're done, the customer's got a brand new EV, so they're doing their part for the climate or, or redeeming the expectation they have of themselves to contribute something to, to the country or the planet. You've got the contractor who's done a really terrific job, and we've had significant QA on the back end, and we control chain of payment. So they have to do a great job or they're not going to get paid. And then, you know, the unfortunate reality of, of, of the consumer world, which, you know, is writ large, is it's difficult to, to make everybody a success. But the reality is we we will onboard people, and in 30 to 45 days, you know, if if they don't cut it or if they create problems, we will cancel them. We we probably fire, uh, if that's the, the correct word, about 6% of the network every year. So, I mean, wow. we do call, we do call the, the network because not everybody wants to be aspirational. And we have to have people who want to go over the bar. And, and that's the only way we can guarantee the quality. And that's the only way we can go to people like GM and Ford and others and, and kind of guarantee outcomes because it's hard. I mean, we're using our employees, but we're using disproportionately other people's employees and, and, and getting these kinds of results. So I think it's testimony to the platform. It's testimony to the technology. It's testimony to the industry. It's testimony to those people. And, and more so, the customers are driving the change. So it's not something being done to them. It's something they're doing for themselves, which is cool. It's very cool. So walk me through the process a little bit for those of us who, uh, for people who are listening here who maybe didn't buy their EV new, we're starting to get some people who are, you know, buy their, their first EV is now a secondhand EV that they're buying, you know, a, a fire sale at Carvana or CarMax or something <laughs> that has gone through like 80% of its Tesla inventory in the last five days. So you're buying your first EV. You're not going through a conventional dealer. How do people find you? How do people, you know, go through the process and navigate all this information? Because I think there's a lot of well-meaning misinformation out there about people saying, you know, you just plug it into your, uh, you know, dryer plug, or you just plug it into the wall outlet and it's fine. Yeah. And, well, uh, I think so, there's a little more to it. Yeah. Let me, let me debunk that myth for a moment because my own home, I had a, uh, an installation done in conjunction with my power walls and integration to solar and had the, the 1450 plug put in. And through the course of our learnings over time, you know, certain certain 1450 plugs have thermal events because they are not commercial grade. They're literally eight bucks at Home Depot or Lowe's. You can't use that. They're not designed to have a continuous load for eight hours. They're not designed to be plugged and unplugged. So initially, you know, mine was being plugged and unplugged and it was getting loose in the wall. 
And I know, you know, heat, dirt, and vibration are bad things for electrical. So, <laughs> yes. you know, I, I had concerns at my own house. So I had, uh, I had uh, Matt Trout, who's a uh, founder and owner of one of the, one of the companies that, uh, that we happen to own. I had, had them come out and take a look because I was concerned. And this was done by a reputable company in California who advertises that they're EV experts, everything else. They used a Leviton outlet, which is, we know have thermal events and, and there's issues with them. So this is the low cost one from Home Depot. Screws on the outlet weren't tightened and the wire fell out of the connector. The wiring was THHN and wasn't run with conduit inside the wall. The red conductor was damaged, had open copper exposed. The black conductor was severely damaged and taped inside the panel. And the plastic box was damaged and not securely or secured properly. So that's my house. My fear is, is that you know, now you, you take this to scale, and unless there's a governing authority or a certification authority like an EVITP to keep the bar high on, on safety and quality, you know, and now you're going to get the trunk slammers coming in. Everybody knows somebody who, who does this, and then here they come in with the wrong size wire, wrong size outlet, or type outlet, et cetera, and, and you're going to see problems, and, and that's what we want to absolutely avoid again. So the, the, you know, there's a lot to this, a lot to this, but if you're, if you've got a used EV and obviously the, the batteries on these things are lasting a lot longer than we're prognosticated, which is great. If they go to Cumerit.com and they go through our process, it's pretty simple. And the reason why we did it the way we did it is the issue facing the industry is scarcity of labor, period. There were 1.2 million electricians in 2000. There's 680,000 today, and electrification is just now exploding. So finding a competent, qualified electrician is one thing, but getting them to go out and quote your job, it's just putting them through that drill and multiple bids and everything. It's, it's not conducive to a small business owner being delighted day in, day out. So we automated the entire process of getting to the point where the uh, contractor could put in the bid. And that digital site survey is something we applied in commercial in our prior life. We reapplied it in commercial today, and we have it in residential so that we can walk a, a consumer through the process, identify the elements that impact the pricing, and then get a tier, pricing tier that the contractor buys off on and take all of this, you know, what they used to call the Tesla tax out of the equation. Because you know, unfortunately, <laughs> contractors being contractors, if it's a nice neighborhood and you just bought an Audi e-tron, you know, they might charge more. They might heard, charge more, yes. <laughs> they might charge more. You know, jobs that should be a thousand bucks end up being five thousand bucks. We put in tiered pricing and leveled that playing field so that it takes that element of uncertainty and abuse out of the equation for the consumer. Yeah, and, and it all sounds it all sounds fantastic. So, you know, I know we're coming to the end of our time commitment here. I want to thank you again for being on the show. You already mentioned qmerit.com. I know you guys are doing a, a ton more stuff that I'm not smart enough to ask about with the solar system integrations, the electrical panel upgrades. If I was a smart person and I wanted to ask a really solid closing question here, what might that be? <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess the the biggest question that I would ask somebody in my position is, is why do you think this time it's going to happen? And, you know, I, I go back, there's a book called The End of Night, and it's really the early days of Edison putting a dynamo in JP Morgan's basement to give him DC current. So he had the first lights, electric lights in New York. Fast forward 120 years, 
everybody's putting a dynamo in their home effectively, right? Battery storage, generators, solar. And you just see what's what's what was the original orientation or, or intended technology for electricity has gone full circle to now because of resiliency and sustainability and dependence on the grid, everybody's got to have a power plant in their home. So I think the reason for electrification happening now and not happening with solar is that the car is the organizing principle. It makes the wheels of electrification go round. And now that you have that power plant in your home, what else can you do? Exactly right. Now, I, I just wonder, you know, we talk about this often enough. You know, we talk about this being kind of an ideal solution for single family homes, single family dwellings, even townhomes, things like that. You know, what about large apartment dwellings and kind of commercial spaces, you know, where the rooftop doesn't give you enough solar to supply the rest of the building, right? Or to power the cars of eight or 10 or 100 people that live there. You know, how are you guys approaching that? Are you looking at it from a point of view of just kind of wiring it into the grid? Is there kind of some intelligence built into the system that is kind of vehicle agnostic? Because you did make the comment that, you know, commercial that does exist, but residential doesn't exist yet. So a little bit about the commercial side of that. Sure. Well, and the commercial side is fun because, you know, once you get into bi-directional, all things are possible, right? You're, you're using basically mobile battery nodes to help power the grid, create resiliency, and also make some money. And what the, what the actual optionality value of that mobile battery node is yet to be determined, but it's, it's not what the utilities are paying for electricity today. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they, they'd rather sell it than buy it, but at some point they're going to be doing both. So the, the multifamily large apartment buildings, you know, there, there's either where you have dedicated meters for each unit or where you have, uh, you know, just uh, indiscriminate parking spaces that people have to charge from. There's technologies to accommodate both, but really it comes down to load management. You know, what kind of uh, bundled system can you do to, to provide some alleviation from the, the grid? And, you know, it, and it's all, it, it's all this financing bundle, complex systems, back-end software, things that are needed to make it work. But the fun part is, and I'll, I'll leave you with this, we had, we had conversations with one of the big cloud providers, and they said, well, Tracy, we're, we're really, uh, really excited about these use cases because, you know, we see a world where a thousand EVs are going to descend on this college campus or descend on this hospital or this entertainment center. And we have to be able to, instead of providing four chargers, maybe provide 500. And, you know, we're going to have to charge concurrently. We're going to need new switch gear. We're going to need load management. We're going to need the cloud. And I said, that's great. But 85% of all level two charging takes place at home. It's kind of like your cell phone. You're going to top off in the afternoon or when you're at the airport. But the reality is you're going to go home every night. You're going to plug it in. And you have to come up with a use case where there's a thousand vehicles descending on a campus fully charged. Now, what are you going to do with those batteries bi-directionally and how much are you going to pay that employee for the right to exercise that battery to reduce your demand charges on your campus? Those are all the fun things. And, and that's also why I think this is here to stay and, and, and has just an amazing, amazing 10 to 15 year build ahead of it. Yeah. I, I just, I'm so jealous and envious of uh, the position you've built for yourself. And I think it's going to be great stuff. And I uh, wish you all the best. So Tracy Price from QMerit, check them out, QMerit.com. If you're listening to this, you like what you hear, obviously subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, 
SoundCloud. I think there's Stitcher and probably 17 others. And uh, Tracy, thank you so much for being a part of the show. And uh, we'll be following along to see what else, uh, what else you come up with. All right, Joe. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to Clean Tech Talk. Join us next time to get your electric fix. If you would like to sponsor our podcast, send us an email at accounts at cleantechnica.com. That's A-C-C-O-U-N-T-S at cleantechnica.com. Thanks. Thank you.